Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundberg skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got Setting the Pace, and I think that's terrific. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And I am joined today by Mark Schindler and Red Bauer to talk all things Indiana Pacers, specifically our young players that have been, you know, kind of thrust into a bigger role than they probably would have gotten had there not been so many injuries. But uh, we're going to talk about that today. So, Mark, how you doing, man? I'm good, Alex. I can't complain, man. It's been a minute. So it's good to, it's good to catch up with you and Rhett and uh, get on another one of these. Uh, yeah. How are things on your end? Things are going great here. Just staying busy, trying to, you know, catch up with all the pods that are out there. It's hard to even catch up listening to them. But uh, I do enjoy the Locker Room app whenever you go live and I'm able to catch I those live. appreciate it, man. Those are fun. I like hearing just people throw different conversations out there. I mean, that's it's always fun to go on Locker Room app. But um, I, I still got to figure my way around it. I've, I've done it a few times and I've not been impressed with myself on it. So <laughs> uh, I just it's, it's different doing a kind of a pod by yourself. But, um, yeah, so Rhett. Thanks for joining, man. How you doing? Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm doing great. Just uh, like Mark said, glad to be back and talk about some young guys. Yeah, for sure. So I think obviously the young guy that I want to start with here is the guy that we just recently picked up, O'Shea Brissett. And he's been playing really well for the Pacers since he did sign that three-year contract. We know the last two years of that contract are not guaranteed, so they don't count against the Pacers. But I don't envision them turning down any of those uh, team options there. But I'll start first with you, Mark. What have your overall thoughts been on O'Shea Brissett in this short uh, amount of time that we've gotten to see him? I think he's been great, Uh, you know, especially given what he's doing in his role. Uh, It's been – I I don't want to say, like, I've been optimistically waiting for things to kind of stop clicking for him, but, like, it feels like things are – like it, in some regards, like too good to be true. Um, I, I think we're at a point now where we can say, okay, cool. We, 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 uh, we're going to get this consistently from O'Shea. Uh, was not a good shooter at Syracuse. Wasn't a good shooter in the G League. Uh, was like a pretty average to mediocre free throw shooter. But I mean, he looks good taking them. He's comfortable. He's taking a lot of threes. Um, the free throws look good too. And he's getting there almost five times a game. Uh, and it's crazy too because even when he was at, when he was at Syracuse, he didn't even block a shot per game for both of his years there, and he's averaging almost two blocks a game now. It's not all just averages and everything, but you can see the way that it plays out on court. What he brings is a lot of what you know, like this this system and just this team in general has been missing in, in having somebody who can uh, both close out and rotate as the low man. And uh, I mean, the offense has been important too, and we can talk about that more. But just like what he's done defensively has been huge. He's been solid on the glass as well. I don't think he's like a killer on the glass or anything. Um, but no, he's been he, – he's 
far and away outplayed any expectations I had for him. Yeah, yeah go ahead, Rhett. I, I could not agree more. And it's just really interesting when you see him on the court because it doesn't seem like he does very many things wrong. Like, it just seems like he makes the right play and the right read, the right cut, the right rotation. He just seems to just know where to be on a basketball court, which is a big deal, especially with his size, uh, with him able to just impact the game so much everywhere pretty much and I think I'm really really interested to see what he looks like next to Domas now that he's back Um, but last night's game is not the uh, measuring stick that we're going to use as what uh, Brissette would look like next to an actual center Um, so I'm hopeful we get to see more of that as Domas stays healthy uh, and just see what he looks like next to a center as the type of forward that we've been missing all year. And frankly, he might be a better fit for the power forward position than what Warren is. Um, so we could get a better idea of what an actual stretch four looks like next to Domas. Yeah, you bring up a good point there because that was one of the questions I was going to ask in a little bit. But since you brought up TJ Warren, I'm just kind of curious, like if the Pacers do trade one of their centers this offseason, which I think we believe they will, and let's just say they're not able to get that, you know, guy that can play the four. Are you satisfied with with TJ Warren and O'Shea Brissett being pretty much your only true fours on the roster? I'll start with you, Red. Um, I think it really depends on what we get back in a trade that involves in either of the bigs. Um, yeah. Because if we have a big enough three, then I could see Warren playing the four and just like interchanging those two back and forth. Um, but if Brissett's shooting is real, obviously not the 45% from three that he's shooting because that would be just unheard of. Um, but if he's around the, the 37, 38 mark, then yeah, I think it would be, I think it would be fine for him to be out there as a starter. Uh, but I would just be hard pressed to imagine us trading one of the bigs and not getting a starter level player in return. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think I was talking about this with uh, with Tony East the other day, uh, just on the timeline. I was like, you know, I, I've been hesitant to say it because I don't want to get people's expectations up. I know people can get excited about things like O'Shea Brissett has played it as a starting starting level player. Like, obviously, that sounds arbitrary. He's been, been a starter um, since he came into the lineup. But, like, just in reality, like, he looks like a guy who he does the things that, that could make him an actual starter on a real team um, when it's fully healthy. Uh, but I also think that brings into question, like, how much stock do you want to put in a guy who was playing on an attendee and just got, you know, a, a, a three-year partially guaranteed deal? Like, I, I still think the, the front office needs to be aggressive in getting more forward-sized players on the roster because that's just been such a problem this year. And I, I don't personally necessarily agree with this, but I did have somebody bring up to me, you know, does it – does it should it upset people that uh, – you know, the front office was able to bring in this guy 10 day, 60 games in and have this kind of impact. And that that wasn't something that was prioritized beforehand. I, I don't think I would say that it wasn't prioritized. Clearly, you know, they tried to go get Gordon Hayward. And that didn't work out. But um, it does beg the question a little bit. And I think it just points out the team needs that kind of player on the roster and not just one. Like there needs to be more than one. So I think I would yeah. say even if it's just TJ and O'Shea, you got to get another another forward size player on the roster. Ideally, somebody who's like a four or five especially mm-hmm. if uh, if one of the bigs gets traded because you need that versatility because the team has really lacked that all year. That's what I was going to say is O'Shea does not answer the question. He's more of a luxury to have to, because he is on that non-guaranteed deal for the next two years. Um, 
he's not like you don't stop looking for a forward size player because you have O'Shea Brissett. Like you, you still should have more options at the at the three and the four than just O'Shea and uh, Warren. Yeah, and, and another thing I was going to add to that with Warren's injury history, how how can how much can you really rely on that either? You know, so it, it'd be nice just to have another one, and maybe there's an opportunity where you can get someone that might be an upgrade over O'Shea but you could kind of play them as the backup three and four, depending on what they trade and what they get back. Not saying they have to get back a three or four, but let's say they traded one of the bigs for a point guard or something like that, and then slid everybody down a position, Brogdon, Lavert, and Warren uh, down to the two, the three, and the four. You know, whoever they get maybe coming off the bench could be like that six-man type of player, but I would prefer to be, you know, a, a bigger wing, a bigger power forward, something like that, just because I, I really do believe that is – the position that this team has been lacking for quite some time, especially since they got rid of Thad Young, but maybe a little bit of a better shooter than Thad, even though Thad did bring a lot of different intangibles to the table. I just think maybe someone that's a little bit more versatile on the outside in the perimeter. But um, moving on from O'Shea, I want to talk about the next guy, and that is Edmund Sumner. Edmund Sumner has had just a fantastic season, and I think you really can't say enough great things about him. But, Mark, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, where do you see him fitting in uh, long-term with this Pacers team to start things off? And what have you been so impressed by uh, Edmund Sumner this season? Yeah. Um, no, it's a, a lot, a lot of good questions. I think uh, just with Ed, it's been the confidence and getting comfortable on court because that's never been really anything he could, he could do. He's never been somebody who has been able to be in the lineup consistently. There was always an injury that popped up or um, somebody came back healthy and they were, they, they, they overtook his spot in the lineup. Um, so seeing him like his numbers aren't drastically different from where he was at last year. I mean, obviously the three point shooting is, but in terms of like finishing and everything, like he's just, uh, he's so much more comfortable. Like instead of seeing him, you know, some of the things he used to throw up on the way to the rim last year were like, man, uh, very, very erratic. But now, I mean, he's just so comfortable getting there. He's close to, I mean, other than TJ and, and maybe Doug McDermott, he's probably the best finisher on the team. That's not a big um he's just been fantastic the three-point shooting has been huge for him as well um I still don't know quite what to think of him as a three-point shooter because he doesn't take a lot of them but he's confident when he does take them uh he doesn't just pass up a bunch of open ones he's taking stuff off the dribble um and it's just opened up a lot for him in the drive game too I think what I'm most impressed about that hasn't been talked about a lot is he's doing a lot as a passer out of the drive game too that's been nice uh like mm -hmm. his assist numbers aren't anything crazy uh, but, you know, just in, in watching the games, he has some really nice passes out of it that used to be either turnovers or really heavily contested layup. So um, I'm interested to see if he can expand on that this offseason um, into into next year, because that would change up what I think of him, because right now I don't think he's a, a necessarily a starting level player. I don't mean that as a dig or a slide or anything. I just think, um, you know, if you're looking especially at like the higher end in playoff basketball, the team's going to zero in on Ed and say, okay, shoot it. Or um, like there are still ways to, to kind of exploit what he does. He doesn't really have an in-between game. If, if it's not going at the rim and his shot's not going in, it's just hard to see what he's doing offensively, which maybe is an unfair way to look at it. But I think ideally he's probably just a really, really good seventh man who's playing 20 minutes. And I, I think he could be the sixth man or maybe a more consistent starter if, if his uh, ball handling and passing open up more. But right now I think that's – one of the things you've been seeing with him, um, like it's looked really nice offensively, but I do have questions about, you know, what can his, can his 
passing get just a little bit better. But he's been he's been awesome this year, man. And defensively too. I, I mean, we know what he brings. I, I think it's uh, the only issue is like you can't really like the the way that the backcourt is set up. It works well because he can he can guard ones a little bit more confidently. Like we saw him on Steph Curry earlier in the year, and Malcolm is much better guarding up a position. But um, yeah, has has been fantastic. It's really been awesome just to see him have a healthy season and um, get to show his game. It's been cool. I think the best part about it for me is like you said, the confidence is absolutely true, but it seems like he's still going full speed, but far more under control. And that's a, yeah. that's a huge, huge thing. The opposite of Aaron Holly. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it it's his finishing at the rim and, and, and all of that is also the opposite of Aaron holiday. Exactly. exactly. Sorry. I don't mean to dog Aaron. No, it's been hard to watch. Man. It's, it's been uh, rough, but Ed, He's not a starter level player, and I think that that's okay. Um, he, I don't think he's versatile enough um, offensively or enough of a lockdown defensively to to have a spot in the starting lineup. Um, just because of what Mark was saying is like it's either a spot up three or attacking a closeout and getting all the way to the rim. And other than that, he's he's not much of a threat offensively. And defenses are probably okay with. Edmund Sumner being the reason their defense gets broken down. Like that's, that's probably not a huge, huge priority on the defense with the other players out there on the floor, but I'm really interested to see, like, if you look at Sumner's numbers throughout the years, he was at 63% from the free throw line in 2018, 19, 55% last year, all the way up to 81% this year. And it's on very low volume, but that also correlates with his three point percentage going from 26%, 26% up to almost 39%. I really want to see how real those numbers are. And I would like for him to shoot more than the 1.7 per game that he's been shooting so far this year, just to get a better sample size of how real that shooting is. Because if he's, I, I don't think he's a 39% three point shooter, but if he can be in the 36 range, taking three or four a game or something like that, that's huge for the, for the bench. Um, and I, I just think the more, the more confident he gets shooting the ball from outside. Obviously, we know what he can do getting to the rim. That's just going to open up so much more, especially if the team decides to keep TJ McConnell. You can use that spacing out there with him uh, if we end up not bringing back Doug McDermott. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I, his numbers have been quite interesting this year. I've, I've been surprised by how well he ash out the three just because I was never expecting that from him because he just hadn't really been there before. Very inconsistent. That's why I wasn't sure if he was going to ever get an opportunity to, you know, last as a, as a rotational player just because of his inconsistency with the shot. But there was that special, I think, on Fox Sports where they talked about how he kind of uh, changed his shooting rhythm a little bit or sh shooting motion uh, with one of the trainers. And I think that definitely has improved. And I heard Tony say this on a radio interview. He said that every shot Goga takes, you think it's going to go in, but it misses. And every shot <laughs> Ed shoots, you think it's going to miss, but it goes in. And it really couldn't be more true. Just you know, just hearing him say that because a lot of the shots Ed takes, I'm I'm surprised they go in because the form just looks a little different. But I want to go back to you here, Rhett, because as we get into the offseason, I know obviously this team still has what like nine games left, ten games or something like that, and there's going to be a playing game. So we know that this team is not done. But heading into the offseason, I'm not saying I want to trade Edmund Sumner, but what do you think his trade value is amongst the league? That's a really tough question because 
we the questions that we just asked probably are being asked by other teams in the league you know uh mm. is is his shooting real you know can he do more with the ball in his hands as a passer um what can he do in the pick and roll or is he just an off guard that takes less than two threes a game and scores within two seconds of a made basket like what are his limitations as an offensive player and i think that 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 question and that group of questions probably lends to him being more valuable to the Pacers than what any other team would want to give up for him. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Mark, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a couple. So number one, it's uh, this is just a really interesting point because I, I think, and I don't mean this in a, it's more just from an observational standpoint. It's not in a good or bad way. It's more just, you know, this is where it becomes really interesting looking at the Pacers because uh you know, you look at what TJ McConnell has done for the team this year. Um, and I mean, the team probably wins four or five less games without him. Uh, mm -hmm. And that might be even, you know, uh, selling short. Yeah, a little that bit. might be selling yeah. short. I, was, I almost said generous. You know me, I'm bad with analogies at times. Gotcha. Uh, Sorry. But, you know, I think if you look at this year and maybe if they approached it more as, the, as a developmental year instead of um, wanting to make the playoffs still. And you say, okay, instead of, you know, bringing back TJ McConnell, we won't guarantee his offer. Um, and we're just going to run everything with, with Ed and Aaron holiday. Um, and you, you definitely lose a lot more games doing that. TJ McConnell is the best player of the three for sure. Um, and arguably has been a, you know, a top five player on the team this year, but then you look at it and I think maybe 30 or 40 games in, you start to see, what these guys are really doing, what they're bringing at the next level. So I think like, that's one of the things with Ed, like we're not really, I, I just don't think we're ever going to know what he can do as a, as a ball handler because he's never going to get the opportunity to do it. Um, and I'm not saying that as a slight to the coaching staff or to the front office. That's just, that's what they're, that's what they're doing. That, that, that's their direction. They want to, they want to be competitive. They want to make the playing game right now. Um, and I, I think if we were going to see, Ed get the opportunity with the ball in his hands, it would have happened this year already. Yep. Um, so, and not that he hasn't ever had opportunities, but just point being, like if you really want to get a guy live player development reps, you're, you're, you're going to be giving him a lot of opportunities. Um, so I don't, I, I, I think I would say that Ed is probably more valuable to the Pacers right now than he would be to anyone outside. I don't have like an exact, um, an exact answer for, for what he might be worth on the open market. Like maybe like, I mean, probably worth more than Aaron holiday. Cause they're about the same age and he's um, proven just at this point to have a little bit more versatility, but I still don't know if he'd be much more than like a second round pick. And yeah. I think really he'll, if he does get traded, which I think is unlikely because of how much like the Pacers have invested in him. Like it hasn't been that much, but they've had chances to let him go and they haven't done it. And now he's finally having uh, his best season as a pro but it would be as like on top of somebody else uh, rather than like straight up trading Edmund Sumner right. for a first round pick or something like that. I don't see that happening. He would no. be, he'd be <laughs> like the last pick instead of the Pacers trading a first or something like that. I don't have any example in my head, but that's the only way I can see it happening. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking. If he was like put into a package, how, yeah. how much would a team value his level of play? You know what he brings to the table, but just to kind of wrap up the Sumner conversation, I'll start with you, Mark. I'm just curious, how much do you think he's benefited from the Bjorken system compared to the McMillan system? Uh, not necessarily with um, 
you know, I mean, I guess how does he fit into both systems differently, but is it more of a system thing why he's been playing so well, or do you think it's just because of the uh, opportunities because of all the injuries? Oh, I think it's definitely an opportunity. Um, like, I think he would have been fine in McMillan's system if he mm-hmm. just got to play. You know, I, I think yeah, – I mean, this it helps. I'm sure the system helps because he's been such a good such a good driver. Um, and, you know, that's what he's really predicated his game on because he's so good at doing it. And that he gets the opportunity to do it this much and it's the focal point of the offense really helps him. Um, but I also just think that it's been – the opportunity in general has been huge for him. And even then, like, we hardly – like, he DNP – coaching decisions the first like 20 games of the year so it's like yeah um you know it's it's different and the one last thing I would want to say too with like you know we mentioned like I just mentioned with with him getting the reps it's uh just in case people start to think well what about Aaron Holiday Aaron Holiday has gotten the reps this year uh he has routinely gotten the opportunity to make things work and it just hasn't worked out unfortunately but again like that's the thing if if TJ is not there then then Ed's probably getting more of that but I just wanted to add that really quick Mm-hmm. Rhett, any thoughts on that? Uh, there's There could be an argument made that Aaron has gotten too much opportunity with how poorly he's played. I don't think that's the case because I think he needs to have – he he needs a little bit more because we know he, he can play better than what he's been doing. But Aaron has definitely gotten opportunity, and I think that we, – we talked about it before the season about TJ McConnell, and obviously he's been incredible. Uh, but there's definitely been a conscious decision by the front office to prioritize winning and playing TJ McConnell versus trying to give Sumner and Aaron uh, as much opportunity as possible. Yeah, and I, and I definitely want to hit on Aaron, obviously, with this conversation, but I don't want to do it just yet. I want to save him and Goga till the end. I want to move on to our second-round pick, Cassius Stanley, who was on a uh, – Two, two-way contract. I couldn't think of the word there for a second, but two-way contract. And I'll start with you first, Red. I mean, obviously there's not been much of a sample size here with Cassius in the NBA, but I mean, what are your thoughts on uh, where he where he's projected for next season for the Pacers? I think it's he's probably going to be – it depends on if the Pacers are able to consolidate any of their bench players because right now I think they have like 11 – 11 actual NBA players that could play at any given time. And so Stanley just doesn't have a chance to, to get any sort of uh, opportunity unless we're in a situation where we are right now, where, you know, we just have ridiculous amount of injuries, but I I don't know what Stanley is going to be good at, at the, at the actual true NBA level to be able to get minutes and to get opportunity. Um, I, I don't think we've seen enough of him to really know if he's anything other than an athlete at the NBA level. Mark? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a real avenue to Cassius being a rotation player. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, like, I never want to cap a guy. Like, you could, of course, see him as a starter somehow, but his handle would have to develop a ton. Like, he is a very – like, his handle would be the worst out of any of the guards on the roster right now um, or any of the wings just for that matter. Uh, he, he came out, you know, super underdeveloped with that. But, I mean, he's probably the most athletic player on the team, too, like over Edmund Sumner for sure, um, which yeah. is saying a lot. I mean, his ups are crazy. Uh, he just has a lot of power in his game. Um, I think if the shot can fall for him and be real and then he can attack closeouts, you could see from there. Um, but I do think, like, the defense was solid at, at, at Duke. Like, he has the ability to slide his feet. He's got good lateral quickness, but it's just um, – getting a better feel for the game defensively. And I think it's tough because he did not have a great bubble. Um, 
but I mean, part of it's because they, they clearly were prioritizing, prioritizing his development there. Like they made sure that he was getting the most touches out of anyone on the team. And I think that was good for him. But at the same time, I would like to see him get like maybe a couple opportunities at the NBA level. I don't think that he's really ready for it. So it'd be very much so throwing him into the fire, but um, with, you know, 10 games to go, I don't think it's going to hurt anything. So, um, but I do think that there's a road to him being a part of the rotation, but I just, his shot has to be a lot more consistent and uh, there just has to be opportunity too. Cause right now there isn't like, there's not really an avenue where you can see unless like three or four guys get traded um, or, or leave. I, I don't really see how he's going to have uh, a road to, to meaningful minutes next year. Yeah. I don't see meaningful minutes coming anytime soon for him, but I was a little bit surprised a couple weeks ago when we played the Thunder and there was like so many injuries. And I feel like he was one of the only guys, him and uh, Bowen, before he was cut to to sign Brema. They were, you know, he was the only guy that didn't get in there. They played like an eight-man rotation at home trying to beat the Thunder. And I understand that they're still trying to compete, but I just was surprised with, you know, how many injuries we had that he couldn't even get into the game you know, with, with a shortened rotation with all those injuries. And I understand we're guard heavy and that kind of thing, but I was a little bit surprised seeing that he is six foot six. He might've been one of the taller guys on the court that night. Uh, Mark, is there anything like, I know we saw that Brogdon video. I didn't take too much from it, but do you think there is something that might be tied in there with like his work ethic a little bit? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, we're yeah. not there. I, I would say though, like from what I know, he's a really, really hard work ethic guy and that's what I, mean, I thought and a, and a really good kid just from everything I know and regardless you know it's like he's 21 years old I, I when I was 21 I didn't I think that there's this idea that like everybody is supposed to be this like quote-unquote uh super hard worker and I think it's not that people don't work hard they just don't really know how to work at like a certain level like NBA level is different than than working at Duke you know and I, I think maybe he's going through that like I again that's just speculation I don't know um, you you have to learn through trial and error sometimes, but I, I don't really think there's anything there that is uh, super problematic or anything. I think that was just kind of more the guys having fun than anything else. Yeah, and that's what I thought. And then I, I forget who said something to me, but they were like, well, he missed a, like a workout or something like that. And I was like, I really would be surprised if he got punished for not playing because of that, but especially with how lax uh, Nate Orkin seems to be. But anyway, I digress. Do you guys envision him making the, the roster next year, or do you think he'll be on another two-way deal? Mm, that's – I think it's probably another two-way just because I don't see the team uh, consolidating enough rotation players to justify having him plainly in the NBA, especially when he didn't show at the G League level that he was like above and beyond that, like Goga did and, and was brought off the two-way and back onto the regular roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't have anything I can add to that. I think uh, maybe if he shows something uh, like kind of uh, – if he's able to really show something in the next 10 games, uh, maybe my opinion will change. But right now, yeah, I'd say he's probably just another two-way guy. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, uh, but he he would really benefit from having a, a true like full year of G League development. No, I totally agree. And the only thing I kind of feel bad for Cassius because I mean they are pretty guard heavy. Brogdon, Lavert, you know they got Aaron still if they bring TJ McConnell back, and then of course Edmund Sumner, uh, Jeremy Lamb. I mean he can play the the guard or the forward, but still, I mean they've got a lot of you know guard wing depth there. And depending on what they draft in this year's draft. 
that could only put him even further down the depth chart. So it's just one of those things where I feel like he's not going to get a ton of opportunities right now. So I, I agree with you, Mark, I, that full year in the G league to kind of showcase who he is could really be beneficial. And I mean, he's got the athleticism and from everything I heard from when he was at Duke, like you said, Mark, you know, he has that work ethic. So hopefully it pays off for him similar to, to some, they're not getting a chance the first couple of seasons, but just continuing to work hard and it, and it paid off three or four years later. But Let's move on to the the big fella, Goga Batadze. This is a guy that Kevin Pritchard had some high praise for in his one-on-one article with uh, Bob Kravitz, and they have high expectations for him, according to Kevin Pritchard. So I'll start with you first this time, Mark. Goga, I mean, do you love him enough to think that you can trade one of the centers and be fine with him as your backup? Yeah, definitely, Um, especially because I think he's already shown enough developing like that. I mean, I've felt really bad for him just getting injured in general. Um, I mean, of course, you never want anybody to get injured, but he was really starting to play well um, and, and learning. Just the biggest thing was he was getting opportunities to learn through his mistakes and continue to play more. And, um, you know, I think he's taken maybe more meaningful strides on the roster than than anybody, even like Ed. Like Ed's taken a lot of strides, but Goga went from like a guy who you did not want to put in the game last year to – uh, like he was very much so breaking break glass in case of emergency. And even then, you know, there was like bulletproof glass. So you're working to, to, to break that thing. Um, but Goga's been like, I think he's been a, a guaranteed rotation player this year. Um, especially with the shot coming along too. He's really figured out some things defensively. Uh, I would definitely say he gives you enough reason. And I mean, you don't even need Goga as a reason for, for moving on from one of the bigs. If we're being completely honest, but fair. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I have like a lot of confidence in him. And I think it's only better for him if they do move on from them because A, it gives him more of a meaningful route to getting playing time. And B, it's just like he just brings a lot of things that are positive. Like he's the best shooter of the three. Like I like that. I think Miles is a better shooter than Domas for sure. I just don't really buy Domas as a shooter right now. And uh, clearly defenses don't either. Um, and I mean, Goga, Goga is a shooter is already just like the form is better. Uh, the comfortability is, is getting there. Um, and I, I think he really does have a lot as a, as a defensive player. He's definitely not going to be better than miles um, because there are just very few guys who are ever going to be a better defensive player than miles Turner. But um, yeah, Goga, Goga brings a lot. That is, that is good. I still, we're waiting a lot for the passing though. Like we have not seen a ton in terms of passing and, and operating in DHOs. And I'd really like to see that happen more. And that's another aspect of him getting more minutes. So really long-winded answer of saying, yes, I, I think <laughs> there's definitely enough there to know that that it's worth moving on from one of the bigs. Yeah. And I, I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on why and kind of get into what you've seen from this year. So Red, uh, I'd like to hear some thoughts from you about Goga Batadze. Yeah, I was Mark's point about not really needing more reason to move on from one of the bigs is was going to be my first point because you really don't like we have enough to know that we should move on from from the Turbonus pairing but it does help knowing that you have a really solid backup big in Goga with the ceiling for more I don't know if if he will be a starter level player at some point if he's going to be a high level backup or what but I've I mean he just looks good on the court. He's real bouncy. Like I think Mark was right in that he's the best shooter of the three, even though the numbers may not agree with that. I just like the just watching the shot. You're like, okay, that's 
it's just like what we said earlier, you know, anytime Goga takes a shot from three, it's like, Oh, that's in. And then it's definitely not. Um, but I, I really think that he can develop into something really great. And I think that that's going to be one of the good things to come from moving. One of the bigs is seeing Goga develop. I mean, they, they took him in the first round when they already had two bigs. So like the talent is there and they, they invested in him with that pick. So being able to continue to develop that um, is something that I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I hope that, I hope that he can step up to that and at least just stay healthy. Like Mark said, it's, it's a real bummer when you see somebody who was really unplayable last year um, come start putting things together, but just get torn down from injury a couple times this year. So hopefully he can get healthy and then uh, turn into a high level backup as soon as next year. Yeah, and I know it's only been a few games here or a few seasons here, Brett, you know, two years for Guga Batadze, but he's had quite a few injuries that have held him out of action. So are you at all concerned about his injury being a factor going forward? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they're compounding or lingering of one type of injury. I think for the most part, it's just kind of been, I don't know if fluky is the right answer, but it's just like comes with the territory of being, I feel like he's a pretty high energy player and, and is pretty physical. So that, I think both of those things just kind of come together and just injuries happen. But no, I don't think there's any injury concern with him at the moment. Mark? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And uh, you, it's, it's hard to know with that stuff too because we're not, you know, we, we don't have his physicals. We're not the doctors, but uh, I, I would agree with you, right? I, I, I'm not really too worried about that. So I will say that I've probably already said this to you guys before, but if, if you're listening to this for the first time and you haven't heard me say it, when he was drafted – I actually messaged somebody and said, I think that he could be the best center on the team in like five to seven years. And I don't know why I thought that, but I just seeing some of the highlights here and them talk about him. I might've just been in the moment at the time, but he does a lot of good things. And I, I believe that the front office does have high expectations for him. I do believe they think he is a, a really solid player. And, you know, I've, I've heard the debate, you know, which center should you get rid of? And a lot of people say, well, you should get rid of Domas because, you know, Miles and Goga are kind of the similar players, so they fit the scheme better. But then I've also heard the counter of, well, you know, if you trade Miles and then you have somebody a little bit different and Domas, it does something totally different. So where do you guys kind of stand on that? Should should it really matter which center they trade based on, you know, how, how the team should look and as far as, you know, being similar in centers or being opposite in centers? Or do you think they should – basically just trade whoever they think uh, they can get the most value out of. I'll start with you, Mark. Um, lots went back there. Uh, <laughs> number one, I mean, I think I would say I don't expect Goga to be better than either Domas or Miles. I mean, both guys have been top 70, top 60 players this year. Um, like Miles, if he wasn't injured, he would probably be second team all defense and finish second or third in defensive player of the year. And he's been – at least average on offense, which for him is a huge win considering where he has been. And Domas was an all-star and rightfully so this year. Um, actually, I, okay, I'm going to argue both guys have been top 50 players because that's that's a top 50 player. Um, I don't know if Goga's going to get to that. And it's hard to know. Like, that's why you want to move on because maybe maybe you can. You know, it's like the family guy thing. Well, look at this. We have a we, we, you could get a boat or you could have the mystery box and, and go is the mystery box. Like, well, maybe he will be a boat. Who knows? Um, and I don't mean that to sound reductive, just saying it's, it's weird with, with draft prospects and trying to understand that. But um, mm -hmm. I would not put expectations that he's going to be better. I just think the biggest thing is you open up 
the opportunity cost of moving on from $18 million and, you know, 32 minutes played by, a, you know, somebody who is uh, a starter, but they're in a spot that would make more sense to have a winger forward player there. And I don't anticipate Goga getting to being at a starting level, at least not yet. Um, like, I think he will be eventually, but the, I, I'm talking my way in circles of just saying, you know, I, I think it's more about the opportunity cost and opening things up for Goga. Um, in terms of who you trade, it's really just value. Like, I think you can make an argument for both guys. Uh, I also think that some of the arguments for both guys are way overplayed. Um, like, yes, of course, the defense is worse without Miles. Miles is, like I just mentioned, a defensive player of the year candidate, and rightfully so. But also the way that they play the defense, there literally is nobody who can replicate on the roster what he does. Um, and again, that's more to him, but it's also like a slight to, okay, well then if you know you can't replicate what Miles is doing, why are you still playing like this when you don't have him um, is a great point to bring up. And part of that's been personnel, but part of it's been, well, we'll funnel everything to the rim. And if there's nobody who can contest anything at the rim, what the, that, I mean, that's, it's why O'Shea defense. is almost yeah. averaging two That's blocks why O'Shea Brissett's been yes. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. Um, <laughs> and yeah. And then, and then you could say the same thing about Domas. Like, I think uh, pe whenever people talk about his defense being so bad, I'm like, well, not really. Like, it doesn't look good, but a lot of times it's because people behind him are making mistakes. So it looks like it's on him, and it, it really isn't most of the time. He is definitely not in an ideal context. It could be a lot better for him, and I wish it was because we saw last year. I mean, he was like a pretty – like a C-minus to a C-level defender, um, and it's not like an effort or anything. It's just physically he's not built to be an awesome defender. Um, but when you put him in like this, I mean, he, he looks the, – the impact metrics have him as terrible, and a lot of that's just because the Pacers' defense is terrible, and he's out there all the time. Um, so, of course, that impacts everything. But then you look at it offensively. Well, if you trade Domas, what is this team doing offensively is my question. Because I'm sure somebody will automatically be like, oh, well, you need a point guard. Okay, well, then how are you getting – like, cool. I, I get wanting to get a point guard, but are you trading Domas for a guy who's going to generate separation by himself without good screening and get to the rim? Because you need that. It, I mean, without Domas, we see it time and time again. They're like the – the offense cannot get separation. Like they've been very fortunate. Um, and, I mean, they have played well to their credit in this recent stretch where their offense was fantastic, but a lot of it is coming in transition and just from running fast and playing with pace when they actually boil down and have to play in the half court, it's the offense is not as efficient. Um, and you see how much the team misses Domas. Like he's not, a, I don't think he's a ball stopper. The, the Domas clogs the lane thing is just a lazy argument in my opinion. Because, yes, he's in the lane, but that's, I mean, he's, that's where he operates from. It, and I think it's just very reductive to view it like that. But th that's, a, again, a really long-winded response. But I just think there's merits to both guys being traded and merits to, to keeping either one. And it's not about liking or disliking one. It's just about who can you get the most value for or, or what makes the most sense for the team moving forward. What gives you the most concrete vision of, of doing something better than what they're doing right now? Goga's skill set should have absolutely no bearing on which big they trade. There should be no, no like, oh, well, we want to play a similar style with our starting and backup centers, or, oh, we want to play a completely different style between our starter and our bench player. It should be just like Mark said. It should be value-based and getting the best fit 
with the pieces that will remain on the roster, both through free agency draft and then post trade, and then go from there. There's no, and we'll have no idea what those options are unless the Celtics are involved again and they leak something stupid. <laughs> yeah, no, there's that. That's for sure. And I, and I think you brought up a lot of great points, Mark, that I really don't need to get back into because everything you said was spot on. So let's move on to our last young guy here that I want to talk about. And that is Aaron Holiday, a guy that has had such a up and down career with the Indiana Pacers. At one point in his rookie season, the Pacers would not include him in a trade for Mike Conley Jr. because they valued him that much. And now his value, I think you said it earlier, Mark, is probably a second round pick. It might've been you, Red. I can't remember. But regardless, this is just a guy that's one of those players that with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. That's been up and down his whole entire career, not very consistent, but I'm, I'm curious what his future looks like, and I'll start with you first this time, Rhett. It's tough. I, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's that much of a priority for the franchise right now, or at least not to Bjorkren with the way he's run his rotations recently. I think there was a game not that long ago where Keelan Martin and Cassius Stanley both came off the bench ahead of Aaron. Um, and that might've been sending a message that might've just been how strongly Bjorkren feels about any of those guys. Um, but I, I think his value is absolutely as low as it could be, but games like last night where he's able to do good things with the ball in his hands and run some pick and roll is how you increase his value. Not necessarily to trade him, but just because you want him to be a better player on your roster because he is young. Uh, you will have his rights if you want, or you'll have them regardless if you want them or not uh, going into his free agency post rookie deal. And that's important. And that has value. Uh, it just depends on, what other moves this team makes this summer, like we've been talking about. There's so much up in the air with with the moves that they could make because they can choose to not bring back TJ McConnell. And then all of a sudden, either Sumner is your backup point guard or you have to do something else and address your backup point guard need. And at that point, then Aaron Holiday would have a much bigger role. But then if you bring McConnell back, he's in a similar situation. Is that the best use of a player like Aaron? We don't really know. So... All that to say, his value is very low. I hope he gets good opportunity for the rest of the season uh, to do things with the ball in his hands and get some of that confidence back and and play as well as we know he can play um, because it's been it's been really hard to watch him this year and, and kind of frustrating to see him struggle so much when he had such a great bubble. Mark? Yeah, Um I mean, I echo everything that Rhett said. Uh, it, it, it was really cathartic last night seeing Aaron Holiday uh, probably. I mean, that was the best he's looked as a playmaker ever 
with the Pacers and um, it, but again, it's tough because they were basically playing Oklahoma city blue yesterday. So I don't, um, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what to take from it, but at the same time, he just looked comfortable and he wasn't forcing anything. And that's been the problem with him. Um, I'm not really sure what else I can add. I, I just think um, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, they, they probably are going to be willing to move on from Aaron or, or looking to um, if an opportunity comes along, because I, I just don't know if, if he has, especially the way that they have started to do everything. Like, I just don't know if he has a place moving forward because I think he is one of the guys who, who has looked worse with Nate's scheme or hasn't fit in as well with Nate's scheme because he's not somebody who's uh, great at getting to the rim and making things happen there. Like he can be a good driver with the ball in his hands. Um, but he's just not enough of a, of a finisher to, to really be doing it. And um, it hasn't helped that he's been super inconsistent. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that's where I lean with him. Yeah. And I want to ask this because he did, it seemed, it felt like, it felt like he fell a little bit in the NBA draft. And I remember, I think it was Jay Billis had him as like his best available at like 15 and Billis was really a high on him coming into the draft. And then he fell all the way to the paces at 23. I want to go back to you, Mark. Do you think a lot of the reason that he might be struggling with his position is just because of his height? Um, I mean, yeah, it doesn't help being six foot in the NBA is not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think it's just height, though. Like, I mean, I'm sure it would help. Um, but I do think a lot of it is just not having that consistency and, and really struggling with uh, with predetermined reads. Like, every, I mean, he telegraphs a lot of the stuff that he passes when he does pass. Um, and I don't mean that as a slight, just like he's he it just feels sometimes like he doesn't know if he should score or pass like at the game he's thinking like a half second slow um is the way to put it and that's not me calling him stupid or anything he's a very smart individual um but just in terms of his actual on court feel like the way that he processes the game he's not there offensively with with the rest of the team at, at times it feels like because he just – you can see him constantly trying to make decisions instead of just making them. Like in some regards, it would be better if you would just do something 100% than to have that extra delay that, that makes it easier for things to happen. So I think it's a lot less about the height and more just he hasn't been able to find himself um, offensively. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think we've seen in the league there are plenty of players that are successful despite their height. And Aaron actually has like a six seven wingspan, so it's not like he's short and small. Like we've seen him do well, and we've seen other players with a similar uh, lack of height do well. But it's just it's just the inconsistency, both in his role on the court and then how he does within that role. And I think uh, Mark's point about him. I, I feel like he's just overthinking so much when he's on the court and he's just not playing free with the confidence that Ed's playing with this year, which is uh, probably why he got jumped in the rotation. But uh, I don't, I don't think his size has that much to do with it. Yeah. It's uh there's other things obviously there. I just wonder like if he's a little bit bigger, could he be a little bit more impactful? I'm sure that's the case for a lot of smaller guys. So just something I threw out there because you know, it seems the Pacers do have do value bigger guards, except McConnell, obviously, is the anomaly to that, who's been just phenomenal being an undersized player. But his basketball IQ is just through the roof. So as I kind of wrap up these young guys, I, I wanted to get your guys' uh, opinions, basically. I want you to rank one through five, one being the most important. But 
who do you think fits into the future the most here with the Pacers with these five guys and kind of rank them and why you rank them that way, if that makes sense? Um, I'll start with you, Rhett. Uh, Goga won because he's going to have a bigger role next year as they move away from the bigs. And I think he is, he has the most untapped ceiling. Um, I think O'Shea probably too, just because of positional versatility. Um, I think it's very possible. He just comes back to earth with the shooting and then he's no longer as much of a priority, which is uh, pretty pretty uh well i guess what's the word his deal reflects that with it being non-guaranteed um ed uh yeah ed would for sure be three possibly two depending on how o'shea does uh just especially with the improvements that sumner has shown this year and if his shooting is real i think he could easily jump up into uh that two spot right behind goga aaron four and then cassius five just because he's so unknown um, but obviously, I think Mark was pretty on point saying that they could pretty easily move on from Aaron this summer just to get something from him, clear up the rotation a little bit more. And uh, and obviously, that would put Cassius above Aaron. But yeah, no, I think one through five, that's pretty easy. Is that the same for you, Mark? Yeah, I don't, I don't have a difference there. I do think I would maybe um, put Ed over O'Shea right now just because I still think it's kind of volatile with, with how the numbers are shaking out. Um, I'm not trying to be dismissive of what he's done so far, but I just think like maybe there is a chance that Ed has a little bit more ball handling juice and, and the playmaking comes. Um, I don't know. It's like a toss up. It's hard. I, I don't love ranking things personally, but like, it's, I think, <laughs> sorry, it's, no, you put, you put me in a tough spot. Um, tough spots are a good thing. It makes me grow as a, as a writer and individual, but uh, no, I think I would mostly agree with, with how Rhett had it. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with what Red said about O'Shea's position versus Ed's position. I think Ed's position is easier to fill, and, and especially for the Pacers because it's been such a hard position to fill. But I get the point, too. We've seen a larger sample size of Edmund, and it's been, you know, I think he's sustained that pretty well throughout the season where, where O'Shea's is a little bit smaller and the competition's been a little bit different. So, yeah, it's, it's still small sample size for O'Shea, but I am extremely high on him. So I would probably go with the Red. Uh, having O'Shea two, and then following that same ranking. But we did have a few Twitter questions, not a ton. Obviously, it's Sunday, and the Pacers have not been playing well, so I completely understand why there's not as much, you know, buzz on Twitter. But got a few questions, and, and one of them here is comes from at uh, Hugh Pacers. This is my man Aaron, who lives in Houston. He said, with the emergence of O'Shea, does this make Miles more expendable in the offseason? I'm curious to see his fit with Domas for the rest of the season. Uh, Mark, didn't you kind of already answer this earlier? Uh, yes, I believe so. <laughs> so, I mean, don't want to have to go through and rehash that, but I, I think that it really doesn't matter. I think they should move on from one of them, like Mark said, regardless of who's on the team. But, yeah, I mean, I guess I am kind of interested to see what O'Shea looks like next to Domas. I don't know if you guys care that much about that, but I, I think that's interesting. That'll say a whole lot more about O'Shea than it will either big, I think. Yeah, that's true. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another one. We got Billy Osborne. He said, who are we keeping as our foundation builders for the next year? This feels like an end of an era in Pacers ball. And now we, and now we look to build off of new foundational players. I'll go with Brogdon and Levert and one of the bigs only because I can't see wanting to part ways with two 24 year olds. Then he goes on to say, I think Levert and Brogdon are great, are great starting the two and the three positions. So red lot to unpack there, but, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that Brogdon, Lover, and one of the bigs are the foundational pieces because they're under contract for the most, which generally lends, like, that That tends to be the people that are you're building around. Um, I do think that Goga can be considered a foundational piece, um, and, and he should be treated as such because of the the high praise that Kevin Pritchard has for him. But obviously, as far as a starting lineup goes, uh, I, I don't have any any disagreements with Brogdon Lover and one of the bigs. Mark, anything to add to that? Um, I mean, I think that's, that's a good question. I have been a little bit um, frustrated is the wrong way to put it, but like, I do think it has a little bit too doom and gloom uh, on, on Pacers Twitter and general discourse. Like this team is not great right now, but I, I don't think they're nearly as bad as people are, are, are putting it out to be, um, you know, Obviously, TJ Warren affects everything, but I still think this team is not that great, even if TJ is healthy, because they have very clear uh, issues. Like, I, I do think they're a lot better. They're probably like maybe the sixth seed or something. But, um, like, I, I just think this team is like they, they're willing to make big moves and shake things up. They did that earlier this year. I don't think that – I mean, they, they've talked about how much they want to see this group play together. And this is not me saying that I – I advocate for that. I really, I, I think we've seen enough to know that we don't need to see this group moving forward with at least with two bigs. So I think that's how they're going to lean to, you know, I, I think that the foundational pieces are um, like Malcolm, Karis, uh, TJ, and, and, you know, one of Domas and Miles. Um, and then you go from there. I, I mean, I think if you're not in the starting lineup or, the, a first round pick, you're probably expendable in some regards. And I, that's a very harsh way of putting it, but I just mean in terms of like being viewed as part of a three or four year window, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think that they would view somebody who is an eighth man on the bench as somebody who's part of a three or four year window. And maybe that's me being short sighted, but that's just how oh, I look at it. I don't think that's harsh at all. I think that's realistic. Like, are you building around Doug McDermott and Justin holiday? No, probably not. Like, they're great pieces to have on the roster and they're great people, but they're not foundational pieces. If there was a chance to upgrade those two spots, the team would probably take it because that's just the nature of them being the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth man on the team. Yeah. And that's interesting. And I mean, I, I would not be upset if they did make a bigger move and trade, you know, if they go out there and make a big move, if, if it made sense for the team. I mean, I'm not just doing it for anybody. I've said it before on the pod, so I don't want to keep repeating myself. But if a young star becomes available or a young star wants out of a certain situation and you can offer one of your bigs plus one of your guards like Lavert or Brogdon, and that would entice the other team to get that young star here, then I think that that's something I would clearly look at. But at the same time, it's probably not realistic. So, I mean – I'm fine with uh, with the core that they have here, but I do think they need some help. I would say this. A lot of people have thrown around a lot of takes on the centers this year because it's been so topical. And one of the ones that I have been very noted is how selfish Domas is, and I really don't buy into that. I, don't oh, think I can't stand that. It's, it's To me, it's not even close to true. He sacrifices so many shots that he could take if he was a selfish player, and he leads the team in assists more than likely every game. So to me, it's like – no, he, the offense runs through him. That doesn't mean he's selfish. And, you know, there was one possession, I think it was against the Hawks, when it's like I think Brogdon threw him the ball about 18 feet out. I forget who was – I don't know if it was Capella or Collins on him, but everybody just kind of like let Domas isolate. And it was a really weird possession. I don't understand why they did that. But it was one of those things where I was kind of 
surprised that everybody was blaming Domas for, for taking that shot number one and for trying to be a ball hog. I was like, do you really think this is what he wanted? I mean, is this what Bjorkman called? Because quite frankly, if that's what he called, an ISO 18 feet away out for Sabonis against the Hawks with either Collins or Capella on him, then that says more about Bjorkman than anything else. But, you know, there was no off-ball movement. Everybody just watched him go to work, and it didn't work out for the Pacers in that situation. So, I mean, that's where I'm at with everything. I, I think they – need to get another – I think Karras can be a go-to scorer. There's no doubt about it. But I think they just need some more help. And getting worn back will be a huge part of that. But if they want to move forward with this modern basketball, they're going to have to deal one of the centers. And I I would be in agreement with you, Mark. I think it's more than likely Turner just because of uh, what happened in the offseason and what Domas does for this team offensively. Yeah. And I think I would say, too, I just wish that we could remove selfish and unselfish from the basketball lexicon because it's just it's it's freaking basketball, man. It's not like <laughs> and also, too, it's just like what are what are you watching that makes you think that this guy is inadvertently trying to just take over an offense like that? I mean, the offense runs through him. I don't think that he really like he's had games where he forces shots up. I'm not just like sucking up to 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 like a, a single player, but. It just it is unfair criticism in my opinion. Um, but again, it's uh this whole season I am very ready for this whole season to be over in some regards. I agree. I agree. Uh, let's it's... get to the draft in in one piece before uh, Pacers Twitter just uh, erupts like Mount Vesuvius. So no, I agree. And I mean, if there's anything you want to, if you want to call anybody selfish, I think you know James Harden kind of forcing his way out of Houston. That to me is selfish. Even, I don't think it was selfish. I think that organization. <laughs> Uh, they did it to themselves a little bit, but at the same yeah. time, like him, like, like I don't out. agree with how James did things, right? Uh, personally, right. like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have handled it. I, I mean, it's easy for me to say I wouldn't have handled it that way, but I also think like we do have to look at it and say, you know, this organization is totally at fault. You know, they Tillman Fertitta is a, probably <laughs> the worst owner in basketball. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Like we don't put enough blast on organizations and front offices, uh, and a lot of times we put it on the players and coaches, and I, I just like. I don't like how James handled that. And it was icky, which I can't believe I just said icky on a podcast, but like, I can't believe it. Like I, I don't like how he had things play out personally, but I, I would understand his grievances. Um, like I do understand his grievances. I just, yeah, I don't personally agree with, you know, like some of the things he did off court, but like, it's not like yeah. he's a bad guy or anything, but I, I don't, I don't no. necessarily agree with selfish. Like I think um, at some point it's like, you know, you're like the, the whole team aspect just gets so overplayed to me. Like it's professional sports. This isn't high school. Like the, the, you can be a team when you're winning and together and everything. But when it's not, it's, it's very different. So I, agree. I, I don't know. That's just yeah. where I'm coming from. Well, they're all competing for jobs, too. You know, that's the big exactly. thing. Exactly. So we got to put that into perspective because some of these guys, you know, Harden's fine. But, you know, some of the guys that he's playing with might not make it in the league after so many years just because – of how many new people come and go uh, with the draft and all that kind of stuff. So great point there. But last question, I'm going to set this one up for Rhett to answer first because I I know his answer. Uh, this is, comes from David Matteo. Does Brogdon at the one slow the team down? And then question two, would you sign and trade Miles Turner for Lonzo Ball? Rhett, take it away. I mean, I don't know what you're inferring by saying you know my answer. But, no, I <laughs> I think that that would be a – decent move like I don't know what the other options are out there for Miles Turner um, Lonzo has been playing really well and he answers a lot of questions I think for the team shooting almost 40% from three on high volume being able to push the pace and transition guard one through three pretty well um, 
but it to me it depends on the number that Lonzo is going to get. Yeah. But I think that it would to be able to turn two years of Miles Turner at eighteen million into presumably four years of Lonzo Ball at around the same number. I think that that would be pretty decent. But again, that's that's more of a guard, which we already have. Um, wow. It'd be interesting to see. What I the can film... already picture the article that I'm writing if uh, if the team trades for Lonzo Ball because he's not a point guard. Like no, I just, he's not. I really wish that. He's like, not. oh man, dude, I can already think right now. The amount he's of people a, that he's going to yeah. play like in this theoretical trade, Lonzo Ball plays two games for the Pacers, mm-hmm. he gets to the rim about twice. Yep, and people are already calling for his head. I'm like, well, you, you he's see. a shooting guard. <laughs> yeah, you know he's a wing man. Like he's he's really good. Like I think uh, his defense isn't quite as good as I think people pointed out to be. Part of that's because he's, he's on a, a better really fit. terrible defensive team. But like in in. In Indiana, he'd make a lot of sense, and I think he would be really good. But I also think like he's not the point guard that you necessarily no. want. Like he's not going to get Malcolm off ball. He's not going to get Karras off ball. Like he could be a nice off ball wing who does a lot of things defensively and like a good connective playmaker. But if uh, if you think you're trading for a point guard, you are mistaken <laughs> because I think New Orleans has found themselves mistaken thinking that they trade. Like I I I I'm, that's most reductive. Like, no, that's they why they have what they were getting for him. Uh, well, it has not worked out with Bledsoe either. But, <laughs> no, not um, at all. Yeah, but no, just point being, Lonzo would be a good fit, but I just I, he's more like a B, B-plus type fit than like if you're really going out and getting somebody who's driving the game effectively, like the, the way that people are envisioning. But at the same time, like it's it's very difficult to get a guy who's like an A or A-plus fit because they end up being an A or A-plus fit on almost any roster, so nobody wants to trade them. Yeah, so that kind of answer, well, that kind of – Helps you with my question because what what realistically would you get from Miles in a trade if you're if you're just thinking based off value and what people think across the league? I mean, would they be in the same category value wise, or do you think that one has more value than the other? Um, Between those two guys, Miles and Lonzo, I think that's tough. It just depends on how teams view him. Um, I mean, I don't I don't have a good sense for how people view Lonzo around the league. I know that I mean he's always in, you know, everybody apparently wants to have him under the sun. Uh I know like the the Bulls have definitely been a team mentioned at, at trying to go after him and they will have I I want to say that they have the opportunity to actually do that this summer. Um but I mean either they've got to be like close ish in terms of trade value. I would imagine like um I don't know where where are you on that rep? I think it's very hard to find a one-for-one player swap in this league that makes sense, but this might actually be one of them. I don't know. I feel like both sides would feel like they would want more back because Miles is a defensive player of the year candidate but only has two years left on his deal, so New Orleans would probably be like, well, we're taking two years less. So I I feel like ultimately it would end up being a pretty much straight swap, but I I don't know – I think team context depends so much for both of these guys, because like Mark said, Lonzo is not a point guard. So you have to have somebody on the team who can operate as the primary ball handler in the half court. And then miles is a big and just bigs are generally less valuable around the league unless the team needs one. Uh, And I mean, obviously every team could, could benefit from miles skill set, but there's limitations that come along with that. So I, th- I think that's about as even as a one-for-one one as you're going to find. Um, but I also don't think that that's very likely. All right. I don't know if we answered the first part of that question, so I apologize. But the first part of that question was, does Brogdon at the one 
slow the team down. So, Mark, I'll, I'll let you uh, answer that question. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it depends on, on what you mean by slow the team down, like prevent the team from being better. Um, I'm thinking maybe more pace is what this is asking. I don't – I mean, with, given with how the team's been in pace this year, I don't think it slows the team down. No. Yeah. Like, at least I don't think I've seen anything that indicates that. I, I haven't checked the numbers, but I would imagine that they back that up. Um, so I would say no. Okay. Rad, would you agree? Yeah. That I mean, he's not the fastest player on the court, so in that regard, maybe he slows the team down by not being very fast. But I think that the pace of the team this year has been – high enough to say that Brogdon is definitely not the one holding them back in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you'll see Sabonis get the rebound and bring the ball up the court. It's not like he's uh, faster than, than Malcolm either. You know, I mean, he's done that quite a bit of the bit of the time, but all right. So this isn't a question anybody else has. This is an Alex question. Um, obviously it feels like Charlotte has been the team that's most interested in adding a center to the roster. Cody Zeller is a free agent. Um, if, I'm not even going to say which center we trade, but if we were to trade one of our centers to the to the Hornets, are there any players that you would like to target in getting back in a trade for one of our centers? And I guess you can kind of dive into that, Red. I'll let you start it off. Um, I mean, you definitely have to get one of Bridges or Washington or the Pacers don't do it. Yeah. And I think that asking the Hornets to give up more than Bridges and Washington – would make them kind of turn their nose up at it, especially with the leaps that Bridges has made this year and the versatility that Washington offers them as somebody who can play small ball five. Um, I would be hard-pressed to trade either big for, like, Malik Monk and Miles Bridges. Um, I think that that is, that's, just doesn't seem quite right, but trades almost never seem quite right, so maybe I'm off. Mark? I would – I mean – it's tough because Monk has um, had some difficult off-court issues. Luckily, it seems like he's starting to get past them. Paolo uh, Ugetti wrote a really great article about that at the Ringer that you guys should check out. Um, but, I mean, I do think Malik Monk, is he brings as a, as a versatile combo guard. I know you with teams chock full of combo guards, but if you – like, I don't think that they would offer Malik Monk and Miles Bridges – um, like that's a lot to get back. I think uh, just given what Monk was, Monk had a really good stretch before he had uh, dealt with an injury this year. But I mean, even just getting back like a either Bridges or Washington in like some kind of one for one, which you can't really do a one for one in this situation, uh, given contracts. But either of those guys would be just so good. Like Miles Bridges is probably my most improved player this year. Yeah. Um, mm. But over, I mean, over PJ Randall? hasn't had quite the year. I was. Yeah. I think okay. so. I mean, Julius Randle's improvement's been huge, and he's – uh, I had him – I just did my All-NBA teams yesterday, and he's third team for me. But, like, Julius went from, like, a pretty good player who just was in a bad context to Miles being, like, a legitimately bad NBA player last year to being, um, like, one of the top 100 players in the league this year. And that's just uh, – to me, it's a bigger jump to make than, um, than Julius did. So it's close, but, like, I would, I would personally have Miles Bridges. Okay. Yeah, that's. I was high on Miles a little bit last year as maybe a swap, and I was. Um, I think I went, I did it with Tony. That's the podcast where your power went out last year. I don't know if you remember that, Mark, but uh, that's when we lost the recording and had to go back and redo it all. I do remember. Yeah. So that was that was an interesting fun time, and I think I went through the players list with Tony by myself that night because of that. And uh, yeah, we had a Miles Bridges conversation. I thought, man, this he does kind of make some sense for what they want. 
I was real high on P.J. Washington coming into the draft. I really liked his game. Um, he went earlier, I guess, not maybe earlier than I expected, but around the time I expected. I didn't think he'd get to 18 for the Pacers when they drafted Goga. But, yeah, I mean, I think both those guys are really intriguing, and I'd be fine with either of them. Like you said, though, the salary would be a bit of a bit of a problem because they don't match up, and that's where I think it could get a little bit difficult unless you got a third team involved and did something like that, which always getting third teams can make it more difficult. But, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where the um, – where the Hornets would go as far as upgrading if they got Turner. I mean, I think he would be a big upgrade for him at that center position, but, um, or Sabonis, but I think, you know, just depends on what you get back. And that's, that's where it's tough because I do like, I do like bridges, but I think if you did trade Sabonis over Turner to there to Charlotte, you could probably be more comfortable getting a first round pick back. Maybe this year's first round pick. Uh, I think it probably falls around 15, 16. I don't know if the Pacers would really want that, but, because um, they're not – and then when we talked to Pritchard, he was not, like, super keen on draft picks being, like, that big of a deal to him. So, bigger deal to fans than us, I think. But to them, they didn't really seem to care that much about draft picks. So, at least it gives them some more, you know, assets to trade. But, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I don't really know. I haven't gone, gone into enough, enough uh, detail and depth of where I wanted these guys to go or where they could fit. Um, that, that'll be an off-season topic. But I just thought I'd ask because I know Charlotte's been rumored. But – Anyways, that's uh, that's going to wrap up our show today. So, Red, where can people find you at on Twitter? And do you have anything coming out for 8.9 seconds? You can find me at Rhett underscore Bauer, R-H-E-T-T underscore B-A-U-E-R. And I am still chewing on something for 8.9 seconds. I haven't quite decided where I want to go with it yet, but yeah. Okay, awesome. Mark, where can the people find you at? And uh, you have any new articles coming out or any new podcasts that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, um, you can find me at M Schindler NBA on Twitter. Uh, I have an article on Darius Baisley coming out either tomorrow or the next day. Uh, my draft coverage is starting up at Indy Cornrows this week. Um, you can find me doing a lot of stuff, a lot of different places. I think would be the best way to put it. But uh, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Great conversation. Make sure you follow uh, our our podcast page at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, and myself and Fachi will be back later this week to continue talking about the Pacers. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.